my friends, the great experiment. Strange new world. Head trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. Two people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star trick, trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? Still riding high from uh, a great Star Trek Las Vegas. That was neat. That was neat. Are we going to do like a wrap-up episode about Star Trek Las Vegas, or did that fall through? No, I think we're going to do that. I think that's a good idea. I think the friends of DeSoto who weren't at Star Trek Las Vegas... They're going to want to hear this shit. They definitely will, because so many were at Star Trek Las Vegas. So many uh, survived it, is how I want to put it. (laughs) Those that decided to stay at the Rio, I hope, managed to make it out. Wendy barely made it out, right? Yeah, I know. Can't wait to hear that story. Yeah. Well, keep your ears peeled and your eyes on your podcatcher for that. Yeah. Needless to say, we had a great time. It was a very different experience this year. Yeah. And bears some interrogation, I think. Came face to face with Anson Mount. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Did not talk about Star Trek at all. Couldn't talk about Star Trek at Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't seen the episode we're here to review Yet, mm-hmm. but uh, I think the temptation would have been even stronger to talk about Star Trek with him. I know, yeah, it's sort of perfect how the unlicensedness of the fifty-seven-year mission or whatever uh-huh. is sort of perfect for a crowd of people who can't talk about the licensed material <laughs> by virtue of the strike. <laughs> a strike we support wholeheartedly, by the way. Yeah, um, the off-brandness that is the major Star Trek convention now is uh, it's only getting jankier and more (laughs) off-brand. Absolutely. (laughs) Every year I go, I think it'll be the last year they can do it. Yeah, but like, you're right. It it kind of fit perfectly. Like, the actors couldn't get in trouble for going because that wasn't a Star Trek convention. Yeah, there were no in-uniform photos to sign, and there never are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was a hoot. Yeah. We'll, we'll expand on this in that other episode. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Let's give it its own episode. I think there's a lot to talk about there. There's a lot to talk about in the episode of Strange New Worlds we came to uh, review today, Adam. I think we should probably jump right into it. I cannot believe we're at the season finale already. It's incredible. Yeah, Strange New Worlds always goes by really fast, doesn't it? Sure does. Let's get into it, Ben. Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 10. Hegemony. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. We don't understand the corn. No, no. Yeah, that's how you say that word. <laughs> hey, you gorn! Gorn's hegemony! Don't you worry! Gorn's hegemony! Hey, gorn's! See, that works, right? That is very close to actually being a song. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? So we start with a pullout from a star to reveal not the entrepreneur, but the Cayuga orbiting Parnassus Beta. And uh, I feel like the second time I watched this episode, the import of that star felt a lot greater. Yeah, no kidding. 
But uh, Parnassus Beta is an outside of the Federation human colony that, you know, was just like, hey, like Midwest in the 50s, that was the best time and place, right? We should go set up a society like that. You know those montages during a Michael Bay disaster film where, like, we're made to see what it's all for? (laughs) What are we trying to save here? Mm-hmm. That's the unifying theory of this colony design, right? This is the ideal America that you see just over the rail of cocaine you're about to snort <laughs> when you're a Michael Bay. <laughs> it's great. Maybe the best part is they've got the playground with that half geodesic, you know, pipe dome thing. Oh, man. I love those things. When I saw this thing, I got really excited because pretty recently our friend and podcast impresario Jesse Thorne texted me a picture of one of those and was like, hey, my kids have outgrown this. You want it? I'm going to get one of those and put it in my backyard. So Jesse texted you a picture and was like, hey, do you want to get dome? (laughs) And I said, hell fucking yeah. Yeah. Dude, you're going to get dome. Yeah, and I mean, specifically, Daron is going to get dome. The boy. Do you take it apart in the individual pipes and reassemble it? How the fuck do you get that across town? I've been thinking about that. Jesse lives pretty close to me. You can't put that on the roof of a Delica. It's probably a 45-minute walk that he lives for me, but it's like a 10-minute drive. You're, you're talking about rolling it like a hula hoop down the sidewalk? <laughs> Yeah, like I feel like bed of a pickup is probably the only way to move it undisassembled, right? Damn. Well, I mean, if this colony has one of those domes, we must protect it at all costs, right? I think this is a useful scene to establish just how important this colony is and all the cool stuff they've got. That answers a question that I had in my head at the beginning of this episode is, how is this the priority one mission that pulled Captain Battelle away from her big vacation with Captain Pike? It's like, oh, they've got this dome? They've got to protect this planet. (laughs) You canceled our vacation to go get dome on this other planet? (laughs) We're not exclusive. We never said that. I mean, I joked about we must protect this dome being the mission, but there is an immediate sense of foreboding here when you open the episode on, like, Mm -hmm. Planet Diner. You know, I bet you could cut down on the hero factor in a place like this. These people are going to get killed. Yeah. Somebody is like in the background telling Riker about how she makes the best desserts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect day. It is a Silicon Entity Day, right? It's a yeah. This is a day fit for a Silicon Entity. Yeah. And uh, Nurse Chapel is here, which also makes you feel nervous. She's uh, vaccinating members of the colonies. And, you know, they're having a little chat before Nurse Chapel beams back up to the ship. And then Battelle gets a FaceTime from Captain Pike, who just misses her, you know? He's experimenting with kind of a new way of being, opening himself up emotionally to a woman that he's trying to spend time with. And he gets really close, but then the signal drops. I want to like Captain Battelle so much but I don't like how often she smashes his nuts every time (laughs) he makes a choice to be vulnerable with her. For him to be like, oh, I'm I'm just FaceTiming you because I miss you. Like, 
here's a note to any FODs out there, like in a relationship. Is that so hard to say is something you should never say to a partner unless you want to fight with them. <laughs> I just didn't think that was nice. <laughs> I think it's fun. I think it's fun to roast your partner every so often. Yeah. Wow. Note the date and time. This drop of signal roughly coincides with the arrival of a shuttle in the atmosphere and she and one of her crew members watch it go down over the tree line. Weren't you expecting when the shuttle hit for it to just fucking explode? Right. It's like that moment in, at the beginning of uh, The Peacemaker <laughs> where you see the explosion over the hill. Yeah. And then the, the shockwave comes and it just like melts all the meat off everyone's bones. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this is well done. It really built some suspense. Well, and I love that they don't know if it's their shuttle or not. Yeah. Like, it's just a shuttle. Yeah. They can't quite identify it. And then there's this, like, ID4 ship entering the atmosphere sequence that uh, I'm sure Michael Bay was really jealous of. It's like a Roland Emmerich film, like, mounted a Michael Bay film <laughs> in this scene. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe the best creative decision Independence Day ever made was correlating the size of those ships with the slowness of their approach. Because like when this giant Gorn ship just kind of breaches the atmosphere and the clouds part and stuff, that's such a great composition. It's fucking scary as hell and it sort of like blots out the sun in a useful way. Yeah. It's great. The, like, shadow creeping up Battelle's face as she realizes how fucked they are is iconic, you know? My God. Here's what I want to say, though. If you're in a colony way out there, like, mm -hmm. you're not in Federation space anymore, maybe it's a colony whose unifying theory is a Midwest American city in the 50s. What is very confusing about this moment is what dinner bell means because there's a guy <laughs> just honking on the dinner bell and if i'm in my work if i'm not looking out a window i'm like oh shit it's dinner time it is not dinner time yeah i wonder what kind of hot plate they got down at the diner today <laughs> a dinner bell in the old west usually signifies cookie is about to serve dinner <laughs> when you ring the dinner bell during a gourds attack it's confusing for everyone! You drive people to the restaurant right when the danger is the greatest! You're gonna kill somebody! Back on the Entrepreneur, Uhura tells Pike that they're getting a distress call from Battelle, and her message tells him what we know by now. They're under attack by the Gorns, and Pike floors the gas of the ship in that direction and gets Admiral April on the FaceTime in his ready room. This is not Federation territory they're heading into. So the rules of engagement are a little bit different. They can go see what's up, but starting a war with the Gorns is the last thing anybody wants. So April is like, I know that this is going to be an emotionally charged deal for you, given who was on that ship. Don't let it cloud your judgment. And Pike promises that it won't. 
It's a real Gulf of Tonkin situation if Marilyn Monroe was in Cuba <laughs> while JFK was in DC, you know? <laughs> that works, right? I got to like uh, print some photos out and get some red string to see if I can wrap my mind around that simile. <laughs> I think that works. Uh, I like that April doesn't like when Pike dogs out the Gorns. He's like, they're they're not monsters. We just don't get them, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. And Pike is like, so we're just supposed to keep eating their shit? Like, they're both kind of right here. I guess so, yeah. So there, I mean, there is some sort of diplomatic process in place with the Gorn, so they're not all just hell-bent on eating everybody that isn't them. Yeah. I need your utmost caution here, Captain. Reconnaissance only. We can't risk further aggravating the situation. Photographs? Just photographs. They must have been super close to Parnassus Beta when they got this call because they're there before Pike and April have really wrapped this conversation up and Pike is called back up to the bridge. Yeah, I got to believe this conversation would have gone differently if the order of these scenes was reversed. Right. If they rolled up on the shredded Cayuga, I don't think Pike's going to take that message from April very well. I'm supposed to leave him there? I repeat, do not engage the enemy. Right, because, like, it's still Federation materiel that got destroyed. Yeah. And Federation lives that were taken. Just because it was over the border doesn't mean it's not something the Federation cares about. But they really, like, warp into a classic Wolf 359-style debris field. And it's kind of, you know, wide eyes to theme. Star Trek, when they choose to do it, really does a debris field well. You know? <laughs> they don't do it all the time. Yeah. So you'd get used to it. Right. It's always really good when you see one. Yeah. It's like a Lawaxana episode only once a season. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's tempting, but you don't do it every episode. The greatest trick is yet to come. One of the best parts of this debris field is what remains and what doesn't. Like, the saucer, maybe three quarters of it is there, but then there's also the chunk yeah. of the hull that goes to the secondary drive. It just looks out of balance and grotesque. Yeah. It's a really great look if what you're trying to do is is make it scary. The nausea of this scene, the like horror of the crew seeing what they're seeing is super well done. The meaning of the Cayuga is hard to overstate to this crew. And they've, we've spent a lot of time with that ship. So it, it feels really big and, and momentous when it's destroyed in a way that like, you know, the USS Yamato didn't really. Like it's a design we are familiar with, but we meet it and then it's destroyed within a minute and the Cayuga we've seen a ton of times. Yeah, if we were more familiar with the crew of the Yamato, it might have hit harder right. in that episode. Yeah. This is one of those scenes that almost felt a lot like the musical episode in that the entire senior staff can feel what Pike is going through. Pike can't hide this yeah. from anyone. There is no secret about how painful this moment is. I mean, and I think it's painful for the rest of them, too. Like, they are thinking about Spock just as much as they're thinking about Pike. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, like, being jammed by the planet or by something in the system. So there's some kind of quick problem-solving, like, oh, like, you know, our sensors don't work, but telescopes do. So, like, let's look for signals coming from the surface. Like, let's zoom in on the debris field and see if we can see anything there. They take away the three most important assets of 
any ship. Like the ability to communicate, the ability to transport, and the ability to scan. Yeah. The only thing that they can get is like extra system signals. So they get something from Starfleet that's like, hey, so we talked it over with the Gorns. They sent a map. Here's the map. Obey the map. And (laughs) I think this episode is overall quite good. This map is madness. The idea that the boundary of a system ends like 20,000 kilometers from the surface of a planet, which is in orbit of a star and therefore always moving. (laughs) Oh, that was a star. I thought that was uh, Patel's dimple. (laughs) (laughs) So the Gorns believe that, you know, this planet is just inside their space. The moon that the entrepreneur is hanging out and like most of the debris field outside of their space. So as long as Pike keeps the ship up there, they're not going to be attacked. But there are Gorns in the area. The extent to which the Gorns communicate is always a delight to me because in this scene, I had to think about a Gorns on a ship with a map (laughs) drawing a line like that had to happen for this scene to work at some point in Gorn's history a Gorn invented paper and pencil and started drawing a representation of you know the surface of a planet and that when they took to space they had to figure out how to do that it's not the only part of the episode that evoked the movie Gremlins but definitely I felt like there was a Maps Gremlin (laughs) Somewhere (laughs) on a Gorn ship, and this is his job. But, like, we've compared the Gorns to the Xenomorphs before. Mm -hmm. Can you picture a Xenomorph making a fucking map? No. No. (laughs) Anyways, if we are to look past that, we will see the rest of the episode in which a McLaughlin group is convened. Issue one. Pike would like to sneak over this line to look for survivors on the planet's surface. And they're like, you heard about the map, right? (laughs) We're not supposed to go over. What do you think about the idea of like a Gorns drawing a map? That's hilarious, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so they have a big laugh about Uh this in in the McLaughlin group. And he's like, no, but seriously. And like, Sam Kirk apparently can just invite himself into meetings of the senior staff. If you're taking volunteers, I'd like to sign up. Which uh, seemed pretty audacious to me. Spock is like, get the fuck out! (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's super bloodthirsty in this scene in a way that like, even when things were at their very worst with the Borgs, there was never a McLaughlin group where Picard was like, you know... I can't wait to blow that fucker up. (laughs) And everyone being like, hell fucking yeah. Yeah, I want to watch a Borgs bleed out and jack off on its corpse. Like, it's fucking intense how much hatred this crew has for the Gorns. His name isn't said in this scene, but this has got to be Hammer-based, right? It has to be, yeah. They're very excited to learn of the existence of Crate 32, which has Antigorn tricorders and phasers that are a special new payload that are aboard all Federation vessels now. We cut like from the cargo bay over all of these crates. There are a number of them there. Yeah. Crate 69. Nice. Not far away. Just makes you wonder what's in that thing. Ark of the Covenant, I'm guessing. Yeah. (laughs) It is like uh, 
Christmas morning when they bust this thing open. Yeah. Everyone's excited to be using this new kit. Last time our tricorders couldn't detect Gorn at all. Now they do. And uh, they're like, great, well, now we just have to figure out getting down to the planet. And that seems to be as simple as plotting a course that will take them past the Gorn ship in a way that the Gorn ship won't notice their shuttlecraft. But uh, we cut to a bridge scene where Una has tried the math on this several times and hasn't been able to get it to work. But Ortega's points out that there's this big debris field and the idea comes up that they could just blend in with all of the rest of the garbage. I think uh, Ortegas is now retroactively sort of regretful of having put herself forward to join a landing team. <laughs> Which is ironic, right? Like, uh, like you want your pilots to learn how to land and now Ortegas doesn't want to learn how to land. Well... It's a 9-11 joke. <laughs> Ortegas never took off that old uniform from the Rigel 7 mission, you know? Mm. Recon 101. So I think the idea of her leading a landing party has been ever-present ever since. Yeah, yeah. We get our landing sequence, and it starts with them kind of uh, coursing through the debris field right under the nose of this Gorn killer ship, down through the clouds. Very fun landing sequence. Various reactions around the, the ship to Ortegas's hot dog piloting skills that involve keeping the engines off until they're below 1,500 meters. I was with Ortegas with how surprised she was that Pike seemed to not quite hold it together for this. Yeah. Maybe it was all the beeping on the shuttle that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He knows he's not going to die. Yeah. Everything should be fine to him. Yeah. Although, like, sometimes when, like, my character jumps off something really high in a video game, oh! I get a rush from it. So, yeah. you know. That feels good. I know that if Link buys it hitting the ground, I'm not going to buy it. But uh, still, sometimes I get a little rush from that. I am just fine dying my guy off of a cliff in Jazz Horse. I am not okay with my horse going over that cliff. <laughs> Very traumatic. Yeah. On the Enterprise bridge, Spock is scanning the remains of the Cayuga for some sign that chapel's over there, but can't break through this dampening field. Sometimes it's sad scanning for life forms. Yeah. Where are you? Minor key. <laughs> <laughs> Scanning for life form song. That's fun. <laughs> he confides in Una that uh, it's the fight that they had the last time they saw each other. It's the, the feeling that Spock can't shake. Spock, you were also singing the last time you saw her, right? Right. Is that also part of the problem? I wish to apologize to her. He doesn't want that to be the last memory he has of her. Yeah, I mean, we finished the final number, the big finale, and we didn't do uh, the, the whole cast hug. Sad stuff. And, uh, you know, I missed her at the after party, I guess. <laughs> yeah. When they enhance the picture of the saucer, it's not looking survivable over there. Yeah. It's looking bad. The section of the saucer that contains Six Bay is not there. Yeah. So uh, that sort of seems to dash any hope of us seeing Nurse Chapel again. Yeah. Unless you've seen Star Trek, the original series. Correct. 
Do you think Nurse Chapel keeps the green juice on her at all times like Mabango might? That would be fun. Like she's now in Club Green Juice? Yeah. Like we see her later like buried under a bunch of debris, but like what if she popped the green juice to survive the girder? (laughs) That would have been nice. That's probably also a debris field type thing where they're like, we can't do that like every three episodes. Like people get so fucking sick of it. That's true. Yeah. So on the surface, we start like looking through viewfinder in, in some opera specs that Pike has brought with him, probably left over from the last episode. And uh, they're seeing this structure that has been erected on the planet and it's huge and it's probably the thing that's jamming all the signals. Yeah. Love the sense of scale here. You only see it briefly and through magnification, but that's all you need to see. Yeah, it's really good. City doesn't look great, though. Actually, city is overstating it, right? This is a town, and this yeah. town is in flames. This town is in flames. Fortunately, that jungle gym dome thing is not flammable. Yeah. I was about to say inflammable, but that's the opposite of what I meant. The great thing about these metal domes in set pieces like this is that you can drape flammable things onto the dome right, for dramatic effect. Or set a fire you know, in the distance behind the dome and the yeah. light and the smoke going through the the beams of the dome. Yeah. is very evocative for some reason. Looks great. There's something moving in this town and it ain't them. Yo, stop your grinning and drop your linen. It's a Gorn youngling. And they kill the youngling, Adam. Killed younglings. Another missed opportunity for the Star Trek toy industrial complex is baby Gorns. <laughs> It's right there, guys. Yeah. They have to be really upset to see a Gorn baby again because the last one they saw killed Hammer. Yeah. RSVP, baby Gorns. Yeah. They really fucking waste it. Yeah. Like, they had to get it on, man. (laughs) Had to get it on. There's something really unusual. It started up on the ship, but it definitely continues into this scene about Pike's optimism and how exactly that reads. Because there are moments where it seems like it's annoying the other people in the Dustbuster Club to hear this from him. But it is also very clear that a captain of a ship is as much of a captain to themselves as they are for the crew, and it feels like Pike needs a captain, and he is that. He has to provide leadership. Yeah. If not him, then who? Yeah. Up on the ship... There's a very strange scene of Uhura coming across Pelia, who is recalibrating something, and Uhura wants to like figure out how to get comms back. That's what Uhura has been occupying herself with. Yeah, and Pelia seems like distracted and like occupying herself with stuff that's not important, like recalibrating deflector power seems like a low-priority maintenance task that she's doing. What'd you make out of that? I couldn't get my head around this scene. Like, she's, like, off-wandering and kind of, like, muttering to herself, and Uhura's got a chase after her, like, can barely get through to her. I need an engineer's help. Oh, please. But that's, like, not the vibe that Pelia has in, in her subsequent scenes, so I couldn't quite figure out why she was being such a weirdo here. 
Yeah, either she's unwilling or unable to help here. But in either case, it's another curious moment for a character that I'm not really sure the show wants us to like. And a character that, as often as anything, seems to be paired up with like a single other character in an empty room. Like the yeah. Peleocenes all feel a little bit isolated from the rest of the show, or at least have for most of the season. Right. In a way that I've started to see as a pattern. But um, I think she's going to turn into a being of pure energy soon. <laughs> well, not the only person acting weird. La'an has noticed that the Gorns are acting weird. They have to go hide in the barber shop from a whole bunch of baby Gorns. And she's like, it makes no sense that these baby Gorns aren't all just fighting each other to see who's the biggest alpha. Right. Like, a group of baby Gorns is like an alt-right meeting. It's just a bunch of people trying to out-alpha each other. But there's a line of dialogue from the scene before that I think illustrates what's happening here. These baby Gorns are hungry. Yeah. It seems to be more about, like, survival than rank with them. And they seem to be chasing after human life signs that Sam Kirk has found a signal for down the street. Yeah, La'an has continued to say there's no chance that we're going to find survivors, and Pike has continued to say, like, come on, cheer up, I'm sure we will. And Sam Kirk comes with the signal. Yeah. So uh, they head down the street. We're in sort of like an office space that has lots of gore dangling from things on the ceiling. Like, I, I feel like Gorns always get the blood to go up when they're doing an attack. Yeah, they do a great job of that. There's always like splatters of blood all over the ceilings. And uh, this turns out not to be a real human signal. It's a trap, Adam. Yeah. They're caught behind a force field set up by Montgomery Scott. Montgomery Scott at your service. And he gets an entire scene to just give us his own backstory here. Yeah. When he stood up, did you think that they were showing us that this actor is missing a key finger? <laughs> because his lower two fingers on his left hand are like prominent in the frame because he's just kind of like holding them up and, uh -huh. and they're both bent. So it looks like, I mean, it looks like he's missing both fingers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just new Star Trek, putting a new spin on things, right? I was like, wow, so is, is Mr. Scott canonically a nine-fingered man? or Because they never made a big deal out of it in the old show, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe this one is an eight-fingered man. Back home, we call him the miracle worker. Indeed. <laughs> there are multiple shots where it shows this hand where his his fingers are bent in this particular way. And wow, that seems intentional. Yeah. I mean, you can also see that he has all 10 fingers in other shots, but yeah. uh, I, feel, I feel like he's doing something there. Anyways. Pike is like, stop the fucking backstory, dude. <laughs> I'm the captain. <laughs> he's a survivor of the USS Stardiver, which was a research vessel one system over. And that was him in the shuttle that crashed in the cold open. The Cayuga crew are alive. They're hanging out at the Johnny Rockets down the street. What do you make of this being the first of two scenes where Pike makes a sound when he hugs someone? <laughs> you found us. What is going on here? Like, he is overjoyed and relieved, obviously. But when he hugs her, he makes this sound. <clears throat> And I'm like, oh, that's weird and fun. 
<laughs> Put a pin in that because it happens again later on this episode. And at that point, I was like, this is a decision that yeah. I want to know more about. Yeah. If only we could ask an actor about a show that they're on right now. Hey, unsurprisingly, Patel, not happy to see Pike. And Pike, like in the face of this, is trying to be so charming. Yeah. And Patel is not charmed. She's mad that he is no longer safe and that he only brought the one shuttle. Yeah. I'd say she's, she's mad that he came and mad that he didn't come with enough stuff to rescue everyone. Classic partner conflict where one of them is in trouble, the other tries to help, but in a somewhat imperfect way, and just makes the whole thing worse. Yeah. Isn't that obvious? <laughs> Pike didn't help Patel the way she needed to be helped exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Part of that was that he didn't ask, <laughs> and part of that was that he didn't have good intuition around that. I know. I know. And it's like, how can you really be a partner to me if you don't have intuition around that, Pike? You know, it's going to sound like being a front runner, but I really feel like Pike's my favorite character on the show because I'm the most like Pike. <laughs> Adam, nothing I love more than my bloody McLaughlin group. Issue two. And that's what we have here. They're, every room that they walk into on this planet is just an abattoir. Clearly the scene of just indescribable violence. They cut over to the bar in the diner and one of the surviving crew people is like, uh, hey, anyone up for a strawberry shake? (laughs) 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 Sorry, that's all they had left. Chocolate and vanilla, we're out. (laughs) Oh, this pump container of ketchup is still full. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Did you ever hear about that guy that was shipwrecked and survived on ketchup packets? <laughs> uh. <laughs> They're talking about where Montgomery Scott came from again, and he's talking about how they were studying these coronal mass ejections. The theory is floated that a coronal mass in- ejection by the neighboring star system may have triggered some instinctive situation by the Gorn. They may be swarming and invading planets because of some deep brain thing that only a coronal mass ejection can start. Scott's ship was like on the backside of the sun doing some fun stuff back there and the sun couldn't help it. Yeah. Coronal mass ejection all over the place. You know, that's why you put down a towel (laughs) when you're the star diver. Yeah. Tell you one thing, the new shirt to hit podshop.biz that says diver (laughs) as the ship name on the front, very popular. Good workout shirt. Hotshop.biz. We need to score a lot of laughs fast. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with 
their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit, plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality, and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you 
Mr. Scott has this like jerry-rigged Gorn transponder in his crashed shuttle that makes shuttles appear to be Gorns to Gorns. And they're like, that's great. We should get that. And he's like, yeah, but it's like, it's over there. It's crashed. And also it only worked kind of. Yeah. You saw what happened to my ship, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. This working theory is really interesting, right? That like, because the Gorns communicate with light, maybe there's something about this big light from these coronal ejections that has made them, you know, like insects swarm the Michael Bay montage planet. Right. And we still don't know who killed the Romulan star. Maybe somebody's messing with these stars because the coronal mass ejections sound like they were unusual also. Right, right. So Ortega is not really a productive member of this conversation. So she walks over to Mbenga and Mbenga is just kind of doing some field medicine on somebody that's laid out on one of these diner tables. No one wants to be at a diner more than Mbenga who is just annihilating a stack of waffles. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's doing dermal regeneration with one hand and like using the fork to cut wedges of the waffle out in the other hand. And he cuts out just enough of one of the waffles that it really bums everybody out because they're like, God, that looks like the ship that Nurse Chapel was on when yeah. she probably died. And, and Benga eats waffles with a Y incision, right? <laughs> Do you think this scene reignites your long-held belief in a Chortegas romantic coupling? I mean, listen, I don't want to put them into a sexual identity box that they don't necessarily want to be in. It's just a fun nickname. It doesn't mean sex. Nickname doesn't mean sex. (laughs) Well, I I came up with the nickname because I wanted them to be in a relationship, and I thought that that was where it was headed. Right. Right. But yeah, like the fact that they they have impressions of each other. I feel like that's a friend thing, not a person you sweat thing, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah, I think I'm ready to put that theory to bed. Wow. RSVP Chortegas theory. Up on the bridge, they uh, have telemetry on several more Gorn ships entering the system. So I guess they can scan some things, right? Yeah. Are they just, are there crew members looking out windows all over the ship and reporting this? The things they can detect to expedite the story, they can see, but everything Uh else, uh, no. Tracker's off scale, man. (laughs) They're all around us, man. Jesus. Pelia and Uhura somehow, after that first interaction, wound up having a productive conversation and come up to the bridge to report this to Una. And they're like, yeah, we know how to like knock out the, the jammer. The way you describe that transition is so perfect, Ben. Like, are we missing a scene here? Because that scene in the corridor does not really correspond to a productive meeting of the minds. I, I was baffled by this. Yeah. It confused me the first time I watched it. It confused me more the second time I watched it. And yeah. I do think that there must be a scene missing. Yeah. They got cut for some reason. But yeah, there's another McLaughlin group. Issue three. Where they pitch the idea of basically dropping the saucer from the Cayuga on this spot on the planet where the jamming signal is originating from. And they haven't seen these towers that Pike saw, these twin towers, if you will. Mm. But we can do the math on what they're talking about knocking out. I love how often the idea is evoked that... uh, 
the Gorns are dumb. The Gorns do not pay attention to debris. Like, <laughs> look, these fucking idiots out there might have more ships, but if we just sort of blurp the saucer section, kind of lazily through the atmosphere, it's going to look like it's just falling naturally, like a leaf in autumn. Yeah, so that's the plan, but Spock... I have a question about this. So Spock is like, I alone can fix it. I alone love you. I alone attach rockets to. <laughs> He's claiming that he is the only person in existence that can put these rockets on the Cayuga saucer. Is he saying that because he just really wants to go over there and check for chapel? Or is he saying that because that's true and like nobody else could possibly clamp a couple of rockets onto the hull. I think what he's doing is that seduction technique of saying something in a similar way a few times to sort of hypnotize the other person into going along with his way of thinking. So like (laughs) what I'm trying to say is yes to the first part of what you asked. He cares so much about this that he wants to be the person that does the mission, but he's got to make damn sure that everyone believes that he's the only one able to do it. And so he says it in a couple of different ways that like superior Vulcan mentals or physicals is going to be the only way to do this. And the reason I definitely think that this is a lie is because when you see him over there, he doesn't do anything super special. He's just a guy in a spacesuit, right? Yeah. And also doesn't have his wits about him when he like floats right past the window that Chapel is staring out of and doesn't notice her there. Yeah. I bet a human would have noticed Chapel through the window, right? Wow. So much for the vaunted superiority of the Vulcans. Yeah. Yeah. But we're jumping ahead. Uh, we cut back to the Johnny Rockets where everybody has decided to get a little bit of sleep for the night. How many times do you think Pike has been caught sneaking out when he thinks the woman lying next to him (laughs) has fallen asleep? Second question, how many times has this happened with Battelle specifically? Where do you think you're going? (laughs) Yeah, she's a light sleeper around Pike. Maybe the, the greatest leap in science fiction history is the idea of... Pike sliding over a vinyl booth without making that vinyl squeak sound. (laughs) Impossible. (laughs) Yeah, especially wearing the uh, away mission getup he's wearing. That thing looks... Like a tack suit rubbing over vinyl is screaming. It's waking everyone up. It's worse than fingernails on a chalkboard, I bet. Yeah, yeah. So not only is uh, Patel woken by this she's interested in tagging along on this mission and so is scott yeah they get scotty cotty that's the ticket laddie their plan is to go the three of them to go get this gorn's transponder no one calls him scotty the whole episode right uh somebody does really yeah i think maybe Battelle calls him scotty damn oh no pelia calls him scotty oh right that's right Hello, Scotty. Yeah. toward the end professor but again, we're jumping ahead. I know. We got to talk about this amazing zoom in on the rotating wreck of the Cayuga saucer section. It's incredible. I could have lived in this shot for 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. So cool. So cool to see it in cross section. Like something that Star Trek has tried to do in basically every iteration and had not the technology to do it that well something up until now only posters have been able to do (laughs) yeah indeed 
boy, it's so amazing. It, it cut away too early. It really left me wanting more. Yeah. Yeah, instead, you just got to look at Nurse Chapel. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Only survivor of the Cayuga is Nurse Chapel, who wakes up hearing a warning about oxygen starting to get really low in the room that she's in. So first things first, you got to plug a bunch of hoses into a bunch of holes and stabilize life support. She buys herself an hour. Hoses are so much better than buttons, right? Yeah. Just as a practical matter. They look great. I really love this. Yeah. It's a minor thing, but I love to see it. Now that uh, she has an hour, she starts looting all the corpses in the room to see if she can find anything useful. Any Dungeons and Dragons player will tell you, like, do not neglect to loot the corpses yeah. before you move on to the next room. She does manage to find several gold coins. Mm-hmm. And a flashlight that has very low battery. Oh, this was irritating. <laughs> Fuck! Even in the future, nothing works! Great corpse poses down this corridor. Yeah. Thought they were suitably horrifying. Yeah, and like, meanwhile, up on the rooftop, click, 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 Spock is attaching a rocket to the hull, and then like, he goes right by her window at him. Like, what are the chances, like, this is the entire, it's not the entire, it's three quarters of the saucer section of the Cayuga. He goes right by her window. Incredible coincidence. It doesn't notice her. It's like they're meant to be together. Yeah. I mean, that's why they had to have her battery be too low to use, right? Yeah. Like, how often are you using a flashlight on a fucking starship that the battery dies? I don't know. Anyways. I love the, the deep pelican trunk that Spock has got tied to his leg as he flies around. Like, Yeah, yeah. This thing is great. <laughs> I used to have one of these for tripod and light stands when I was in production. Yeah. Not the deep yeah. one, but like the rifle case. Right. But this deep one is really nice. Yeah. Did it also have the like bungee that straps around your ankle like a surfboard. That's so fucking cool. <laughs> uh, so she's like, Spock's here. I would like to ride that surfboard. Mm. And she starts heading up to see if she can find him upstairs. Uh, but instead of Spock, she runs into a Gorns. And this is no baby Gorns. This is one of the big boys. <laughs> and this Gorns is... I guess like doing some kind of technical thing and the computer keeps rejecting command codes that it's apparently trying to put in. This is like the episode going, see, Gorn's drawing a map isn't so ridiculous anymore, is it? <laughs> this one's wearing a space helmet. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's huge. Yeah. He's, he's fucking huge. And I think it's useful that it's a weightless scene too, right? Because he appears to be bigger as he's floaty. Yeah, and his big old tail's yeah. dangling down. Yeah. Would you look at that? Well, we cut to Mr. Scott's escape craft crashed in the forest near the Midwestern town. They have like a real like Alien 3 moment with a baby Gorns in here where it goes right up to Captain Patel and growls at her and then runs away. You know... I think that they are using puppets for the the close-ups on the Gorn faces. Yeah? Like, at least the babies. I think it was the previously on package for this episode that reminded me how much puppet stuff there was in season one of this show. Yeah, it's true. And it made me sad that it's been pretty sparse in season two of this show. Well, you wanted puppet. Here it is. 
No puppet. No puppet. Puppet on dimple. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why the baby didn't attack. Like, ah, oh, look at that thing. That was a self-defense dimple. <laughs> so Pike is like, hey, so uh, why didn't that baby Gordon's try and eat us? Why did it run away? And Patel's like trying to brush it off, trying to get him to drop the subject so that they can focus on getting the transponder and get out. Oh, so Pike's the only one that's supposed to be vulnerable in this relationship? Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Seems a little unfair. Opening up your heart is a two-way street, Captain Patel. Opening up your heart and vascular system, (laughs) which is now flooded with Gorn babies. Yeah. We got lucky. (laughs) They never talked about family planning up until now. (laughs) (laughs) They're gonna have to start. That's why it's important to have those conversations early on. Yeah. Probably before you start planning your first vacation together, you know? Yeah, I think that's the right order. Yeah. Up on the bridge of the Cayuga, Spock and Chapel are reunited, but there's that Gorns right in between them. And um, this also felt a bit like a we lost a scene here because last we saw Chapel, she was like just out of view of the adult Gorns, and it seemed like she was in extreme danger you can totally get the production reason for setting this on the bridge but i don't understand the practical reason of setting one of the retro rockets up on the bridge as a place yeah in the bridge yeah yeah i also think that for a show that has had as masterfully choreographed fight scenes. This one was a real miss for me. Like, oh, I think weightless combat is a really interesting idea, but I thought they leaned really hard on the slow motionness of it mm-hmm. in a way that was not exciting or cool and just kind of felt like awkward mid wire stunts. Well, I really love the savagery of Spock using an improvised weapon to stab through the face shield of the giant Gorns and, and like the way that the giant Gorns dies suffering, like we stay locked onto him yeah. as he floats out the view screen. It's pretty rugged. It's rugged in a way that just like the killing of the baby Gorns earlier felt a little like off tone wise, you know, like Starfleets have defended themselves plenty of times. We've never seen them just like viciously murder someone because they think they might be a threat. I'm still unwilling to defend the Gorns here in this situation. I think this was a good kill. <laughs> I think that in this fight scene, it's understandable. But like, yeah, like I, I just, I feel like we're being set up for a part two when season three finally comes, where some of these will be illustrated to have been grave errors. I think one element to this that was missing specifically that i Wonder if we ever had a version of, and maybe it was just cut out, was like that it's dialogue free, I think might hurt the intensity of it. Like, these are two characters that care so much about each other, but when they first see each other in this scene, yeah, it's almost totally wordless. And the fight itself is choreographed in such a way where they're not working together. They're working independently, and so they're not talking to each other during either. I would have liked to have heard some desperation in their voices and i think that would have helped bulk up the scene a little bit it's weird that there's no radio yeah that they can get going helmet to helmet or any explanation of why they don't even try that the cut scene that i saw was chapel asking spock why he was putting a rocket on the bridge like it just seems like a weird (laughs) place to put one if that's what the plan is 
Yeah. Like, why not attach the rocket to this Gorns and oh. shoot him out of the view screen? There's your punch up. There's your punch up. God damn. Savage. Yeah. The rocket is attached to the Gorns, and it is the thing that goes into that tower on the, on the planet's surface. It's going so fast that it's yeah. got enough destructive capacity to take out both towers. I think the Cayuga's salvageable. Let's leave her up here. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of metal, you yeah. know? It'd be a real shame. I do really like the shot of Spock and Chapel like going up out of the dome of the saucer and watching it from space as it enters the atmosphere. There's something so subtly hot about like two holding hands and a perfectly lit thigh gap in space. Yeah. I'm talking about both thigh gaps too. Yeah. This era of Starfleet EVA suit really accentuates butt. Yeah. And they they both really have fabulous butts. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> really pretty. But I love in the way that you're saying, I love a scene in which like it's like ejecting out of a fighter jet, right? You bust out through the top and the jet flies forward, but like your characters remain in frame. That same yeah. effect is happening where Chapel and Spock are floating up, but the saucers floating further away. Like one of the best shots of this episode was that. I just thought it was amazing. Yeah, and some of the coolest effects that they've done all season in this episode. Unclear if the butts were effects, though. Mm -hmm. Those are probably practical butts. I think those were practical butts. Yeah. Back down on the planet, we find out that Battelle has been bit, and we see the uh, the towers get taken out by the Cayuga saucer. This seems like it is too close to be a survivable impact for any of the people on the shuttle, but they survive. Mark Wahlberg believes that uh, he would have flown the saucer away from the planet <laughs> yeah. if he were on board. <laughs> And single-handedly killed all the Gorns. Seth MacFarlane was actually supposed to be on the Cayuga. I know. Uh, I Amazing. Yeah, weird. He missed his flight. Steve ran as easy, nowhere to be found. <laughs> he wasn't around. Yeah. He said he was. Radio is back up. Transporters are back up. The second this all works out and uh, Pike orders uh, you know, them to start beaming everybody up and uh, tells the, the bridge where the colonists are and stuff. Pike and crew go straight to Six Bay. Spock and Chapel materialize on the transporter pad where they are immediately put back to work. Like, no break, no rest for the weary. Chapel is supposed to head to Six Bay, Spock to the bridge, and we see everybody in the Johnny Rockets get beamed up. But interestingly enough... I love the sequence of events here because you know exactly what a Federation Starship transporter beam looks like moments ago. And there's something yeah. off in that Johnny Rockets about this entire group of people being beamed away in this green shimmery light. Yeah. In Six Bay, we see Battelle and Pike and Mr. Scott materialize in a kind of jokey crosscut. And this is the second audible hug that Pike has, this time hugging Chapel. Yeah. Means something different when it's a coworker who works under you, right? I don't know. I mean, we got and gave a lot of hugs at Star Trek Las Vegas, like friendly hugs, platonic hugs. I didn't give any hugs. If I were hearing a, mmm, or, or like, <laughs> oh, 
I don't know. I, that might that might creep me out. You have no idea how happy I am to see you. What's happening? I used to really love Greatest Trek and Greatest Generation, but I met Ben and Adam, and it's like one of those never meet your heroes, <laughs> never meet your podcasters, kind of the same deal. I tried to hug one of them, and that Adam guy just like withdrew. <laughs> he did not seem to like it. So uh, we learned that uh, Mr. Scott was in Pelia's class at the academy. She thought he was brilliant, but shitty at school, so he got bad grades. She really knows everyone. They're going to go work on that transponder. The system is just getting absolutely rotten with Gorns now. More yeah. and more ships inbound. Looks like a goddamn town meeting. And when Pike makes it up to the bridge, he finds out that none of the colonists or the rest of the away team made it out. So that means... Like Laon and Ortegas, unaccounted for here. They got Gorn napped at him. This is such a unique depiction of starship leadership here because Pike is frozen and wide eyed and like he appears to be flailing. Like this is another Michael Bay reference, but like Bay sort of popularized a. If a character is confused or trying to figure out a situation, the camera will spin around them as the character spins. And there's this moment of confusion in this scene that feels very similarly until finally Pike is frozen and he's looking direct to camera when we realize that we've been on a cliff the entire time. We have. He has no idea what to do. He does not say fire. He does not say anything. No. People are begging him for orders. And we get a to be continued. I really like that this scene evokes the one from earlier on in the episode where people also wanted an order from him and he just couldn't give one. It's one of the most suspenseful to be continued I can remember in all of Star Trek. And I thought a lot about the history of that in Star Trek, ending your season on a huge cliff, making a cliff kid of your audience. Can you imagine if the Writers Guild and the Actors Guilds had gone on strike in between Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2, and we, you know, knowing nothing about how the scheduling of these things works, knowing for a fact that that would mean that Best of Both Worlds Part 2 would be months and months delayed based on that fact. Yeah. Incredible. Wow. Well, that's the end of the episode. Did you like the episode, Adam? I think one aspect I really liked a lot was just how ever-present the feeling of death was. I was positive either Battelle or Chapel was going to die in this episode. And I think quite intentionally, that's what the episode was trying to do. Yeah. Both visually and in story, it just felt like someone was going to get taken off the board here. It still might happen in the beginning of the next season, but I was just a ball of knots during this entire viewing experience. And I think that makes it a success as a story because the zombie movieification of it, like, and those story <laughs> beats, I think were really well done, not overdone. The Pike character has become so interesting to me. Like, he seems like a far different captain than the one that we got to know on Discovery and in the first season. That Pike was so sure of himself. And it makes me think about just how much he may have been shattered by his time travel stone experience, you know? 
I mean, that has happened to a lot of people that have been on Discovery. Yeah. 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 It's tough to see a character like this struggle. Yeah. In a way, like everyone needs him. Everyone needs him to be the captain and he can't get it together. A couple of different occasions in this episode. It's got me wondering uh, how he's going to be in the, the beginning of the next season. I thought the episode was great. I'm agonized by the idea that it could be a good long while before we get the next season. Because uh, it's a great cliff. Very enjoyable cliff we're hanging on here. <laughs> what about you, Ben? Yeah, I think that um, I'm a little softer on this one than you are. I Part of that, I think, is just that it is really hard to review a part one when you haven't seen part two yet and mm -hmm. you don't know how all of these things are going to pay off. And I think that that is very well observed by you, that it is like an episode that's very much about Pike struggling with his own demons as he tries to lead everyone through a really challenging thing. And I think that that stuff is really well depicted. But I think in previous editions of Trek, like we were talking about with the Borgs, you know, like nobody on the D would have said anything nearly as bloodthirsty about the Borgs, even knowing the like way bigger threat that the Borgs present than the Gorns do. Mm hmm. Or if they did, they would like, you know, pull it back or apologize for it or something. Or like there would be a discussion of it like, right. about how I don't hate you, Cardassian. I hate what you made me become or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it seems to me that that may all be set up. But I didn't think it was that artfully set up if it is, in fact, set up. And yeah, I don't. I don't think that this episode really did it for me overall. Like there's so many parts that I loved. I loved so much about how it was executed. I loved the like tone and, and mood of it was so well executed. You're right. Like it really feels like they are in a ton of danger the entire time. And specifically Battelle and Chapel do not feel safe at all in this episode in a way that I thought was super well done, but yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed with how this episode ended. And with a season that has been as strong as this, I, I kind of feel like this is the first episode that's really missed for me. Wow, yeah. I can't disagree with any of your uh, criticisms. I mean, yeah, it is there. A lot to recommend this episode despite that, but that was my personal takeaway. A lot to recommend about the entire season. I think as a season, it was uh, a satisfying watch. Yeah. I can't wait to find out what's next. And um, I'm, I'm sad that the fucking AMPTP have been such a pile of colossal dickbags trying to fucking screw over the writers and actors that make these stories for us to, to review. Yeah, let's give a shout out to Henry Alonzo Myers, the writer of this episode, and uh, all the great actors who brought it to life. Yeah. Really strong work by everybody. And, you know, this episode definitely feels like one where stuff got cut. Mm -hmm. And this may not have been exactly what was initially conceived. I think they should have made one additional cut, and that is the sound of Pike hugging people. <laughs> oh, I think you can hug people in silence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, all of that being said, there's a kind of silence that I will not tolerate, Adam, and that is silence from the Priority One message inbox. Should we head over there and see what's going on? Just a championship pivot right there, Ben. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Our first Priority One message is from Quippy McGee. It's to Dylan, a.k.a. Grifflet. 
goes like this. Dylan, you are now 40. You are the bedrock of our friend group and have endured our goblin urges, the bad D&D movies, and a kobold wizard's dildo of enlightenment plus two. Without you, I would not have my wife pants, for which I am extremely grateful. I'm sorry Kevin Uxbridge was unavailable to design the Griffin real doll. I know you really want it. I've got a buddy with the nickname Pants. I think Pants is a great name for a person. Yeah, but it sort of sounds like Quippy McGee might just be married to Pants because, yeah. <laughs> because of the construction of the sentence. This is a serious comma situation that yeah. leads to some doubt. Yeah, my wife Pants, for which I am extremely grateful, not whom which I am extremely grateful. Well, Pants is capitalized, so I think I think Pants is a proper name here. Mm-hmm. Well, it might be the god of pants. Mm, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, happy birthday, Dylan, a.k.a. Grifflet. I think that's Grifflet, right? Yeah. Dylan, a.k.a. Grifflet. There you go. Happy birthday, Dylan. And right on time. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from John and Ginny with a G. And it is to Emmett Benjamin. Last name redacted. That message goes like this. Happy birthday, Emmett, a.k.a. The Boy. The Boy. It's been the honor of my life watching you grow into as big a badass as your Cisco namesake. Hell yeah. Many thanks also to Ben for his baby tweets, which have been a real comfort. I look forward to (laughs) one day sitting next to you on an airplane and silently thinking about all the fatherly commiserating we could have done. (laughs) I appreciate that, John. Yeah. Your your silence is uh, is deeply, deeply appreciated. And polite. Happy birthday, Emmett Benjamin. Last name redacted. That rules. Yeah. I'm sorry I'm not father Xing anymore. I fled the, the, the sinking ship before it changed its name to X. <laughs> oh, I get it. I didn't know what you were talking about for a second. I think a lot of people had that feeling <laughs> during the name change. Yeah. If you'd like to send a message to someone, the way to do it is by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and getting a Priority One message on Greatest Trek. It won't take that long to get to them, and it's only a hundred bucks. Yeah. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin! I feel like especially in video production... And in, like, corporate video production specifically, Mm -hmm. there's always that moment where you've got, like, a managerial figure communicating an idea or a command in the case of this episode. And you want to cut over to the person or or people listening, and in a very unnatural kind of way, you want to communicate that the message is is being received, right? (laughs) <laughs> so there's a shot and a reverse shot primarily. You get you get your leader leading and you get your subordinates uh, learning. That exact thing happens earlier on in the episode. When things are looking bleak, when communications and transporters and, and sensors are all down, Pike's on the bridge and he's like, look guys, we got to think harder. <laughs> As the message, we get a hilarious cutaway to a random crew person doing the performative subordination nod where like they're nodding like, yeah, I'm thinking hard. 
Fucking A, Captain. I'm thinking as hard as I can. And you know I am, because I got the message and I'm nodding. Yeah. That we've got to think harder crew person putting on the show. This person doesn't have an idea. We never see this person again. Not contributing. But they're thinking about it. Yeah. They looked good not contributing, though, you know? I think Una has the first react take, and she nods, and then we cut over to this other person, and they nod, too. And I'm like, don't get it on that nod. Yeah, yeah. So that's my Edward Larkin. I, th- I just think, like, I recognize that move as, like, that's one of my moves. That's funny. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Pelia for just being a scattered weirdo in that one scene and that having yeah. been a totally untied off thread. Yeah. I think uh, it's probably not the character's fault. It seems like it's something that happened at the production level. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think for some reason her acting like that is going to earn it from me. Kind of a for some reason Pelia moment, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, one way we like to cap off all of the fun of an episode of Greatest Trek is by uh, reading a warning, Bois. This is uh, when we go out on the internet and look for things Friends of DeSoto have said on social media or in the Apple podcast reviews of the show. It really means a ton to us when people share what they like about the show, especially when it's in a way that uh, kind of <laughs> underscores the vibe of the show in, in a way that would warn away someone that uh, isn't necessarily the kind of person that would enjoy this. Well put. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Here is a warning bois from you vast active 282 over on the Greatest Gen subreddit. The boys have been killing it recently been listening to TGG every week since season five of TNG, and while it has always been a must-view appointment for me, it feels like the last few weeks have really kicked it up a notch. Just some really hilarious and clever jokes during this current stretch of Voyager. I find myself LOLing a lot. It's really a testament to how great Adam and Ben are that even after doing this hilarious show for years, now they still find a way to keep being funnier and funnier. And that is some of the nicest stuff anyone has ever said about us. And I think the comment thread on this really bears mentioning as well because a lot of people are shouting what funny edits Wendy has been doing and I couldn't agree more. Wendy's uh, just a superlative comedy editor and I can't believe that that comes in a package with also being super organized and able to like look at a calendar and figure out what's going on and what we need to do ahead of a tour and whatnot. Yeah, so um, we really got lucky with her. Yeah. And it was really cool to like see at Star Trek Las Vegas a lot of that love and respect being given like in person by FODs. Like that was really neat. I'm glad she got to experience that. Me too. And uh, I really appreciate the the kind words from user vastactive282 and all of the folks that chimed in on that thread on Reddit. Really really nice nice little ego boost that uh listen man, I'm having a very hard time at home right now. I needed a nice thing to read. Yeah. Make that one of your tabs, Ben. I should. I should. Maybe you could use one less porn tab and put that one up. I don't want people to know why I'm having a hard time at home. (laughs) Cut that out, Wendy. How about new? Well, we're going to take the next week off, but the week after that, we're going to come back with our post-Star Trek Las Vegas roundup recap 
spectacular episode. Yeah. Kind of a lot happened there, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. It'll be a pretty stale topic by the time that airs, but <laughs> it's okay. That's salesmanship, baby. Yeah. No, I, I'm not going to get into any details, but uh, we are having a, uh, a bit of a, a family-based challenge over here. And uh, yeah, we just needed to take a week off so that I can catch my breath a little bit. And uh, I really appreciate the forbearance of the Friends of DeSoto. If a week off is a, a huge drag to you, maybe go listen to uh, Greatest Gen. I speak for all Friends of DeSoto everywhere when I say, we got your back, Ben. Thanks, buddy. Take this week. And be well. Aww. All right. Take it away, Wendy. Greatest Trek is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. No episode next week, but this podcast has years and years of back catalog episodes for you to revisit or enjoy for the first time. Ben and Adam have done incredible interviews and reviewed original series episodes that were referenced by this season of Strange New Worlds. So just scroll on back through your podcast app or search online at gach.biz slash greatest trek. All of the original music for this show was composed by Adam Ragusea. He has a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that you can find by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Ditmore for creating the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the mini at Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, threads, Twitter, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. We really appreciate the MaxFun members who keep this podcast going with their monthly support at MaximumFun.org slash join. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in two weeks on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.